Welcome to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mavroidis. On August 8, 1969, President Nixon laid out his domestic policy vision for America. He, in particular, took aim at the welfare state. Whether measured by the anguish of the poor themselves or by the drastically mounting burden on the taxpayer, the present welfare system has to be judged a colossal failure. Our states and cities find themselves sinking in a federal quagmire as caseloads increase as costs escalate, and as the welfare system stagnates enterprise and perpetuates dependency. What began on a small scale in the Depression 30s has become a huge monster in the prosperous 60s. And the tragedy is not only that it is bringing states and cities to the brink of financial disaster, but also that it is failing to meet the elementary human social and financial needs of the poor. It breaks up homes. It often penalizes work. It robs recipients of dignity. And it grows. Here with us to talk about the Nixon administration's focus on America's domestic economy of the time is John Price. Mr. Price joined the Urban Affairs Council in 1969 as special assistant to the president, serving under the council's head, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. He went on to succeed Moynihan as executive secretary of the council. Price has a BA in history from Grinnell College. After graduating from Grinnell, he studied at Oxford University as a Rhodes Scholar and later received a law degree from Harvard University Law School. He was the CEO of Federal Home Loan Bank of Pittsburgh from 2006 to 2010 and earlier a managing director of Chase Manhattan Bank in New York. He is currently at work on a book about President Nixon's politics and public policy. John, welcome. Absolutely. I, uh, while in law school, got uh, I fell in, if you will, with a group of like-minded people who felt ourselves Republican, but of course we were still in the uh, halo of John Kennedy and his appeal to young people of 10, 15 years older than ourselves. And, uh, but we were sort of searching for uh, what we would stand for and who we really were. We felt vaguely that we were Eisenhower Republicans, and when the assassination occurred and Lyndon Johnson became president, that gelled things for most of us. And we wanted to form an alternative to Johnson and to his form of uh, liberal democracy. And so we created a group called the Ripon Society. And it was through that uh, organization, which I actually worked part-time for while I was still in law school, that I got really intrigued in and connected with a lot of the uh, issues and a lot of the more senior players in the moderate wing of the Republican Party. And in fact, I worked for Nelson Rockefeller. And in 68, I was head of his delegate intelligence unit for the presidential campaign. And after that, the Nixon people, uh, Charlie McWhorter and Walter Thayer, reached out to me and asked me to come on board, which I did for the general. And that's how I wind up, wound up uh, uh, in the White House, working with Len Garment originally, and then uh, with Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who hired me on my 30th birthday. About two years ago, you gave a speech, um, speaking of Moynihan, uh, at Oxford University's Rothermere American Institute entitled The Not-So-Odd Couple, Nixon and Daniel, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, I'm sorry, Daniel Patrick Moynihan and Richard Nixon. On his face, the Republican politician and the Democratic Harvard sociologist conducting policymaking from the White House is rather odd, but why do you say it isn't? Well, many reasons, uh, some of which are, are really personal. Um, both Moynihan and Nixon, in their way, were, were first powerful intellects 
and people don't often realize that about Richard Nixon, but along with Woodrow Wilson and maybe a handful of others, uh, Nixon was one of the most intellectually uh, fermenting and, uh, and active of all presidents, and Moynihan certainly was. And uh, they also came from unprivileged backgrounds. And Mrs. Moynihan, Pat's widow, tells me that while they didn't really talk a lot about it, it was sort of mutually understood. They, they had both been from hardscrabble youths. Uh, Pat Moynihan's father had left him when he was 10 years old, left the family. He never saw him again. And they moved into Hell's Kitchen and Pat shined shoes and worked as a stevedore on the docks in New York. Never thought he'd go to college. Uh, Richard Nixon would, as we all know, uh, drive in at four in the morning to buy produce for his father's store before going to school that day. And they also, uh, for various reasons, had been in a way viewed askance by their respective establishments. Uh, Nixon probably for the, the uh, very successful prosecution of Alger Hiss as a Soviet spy, which was the case, but which a lot of the uh, publishing and punditry world and the more liberal establishment simply simply couldn't concede and that that developed the the anger and the bile toward Nixon which was as we know fully reciprocated with Moynihan it was the publication in the mid-1960s of a report he did on the American Negro family and about how there had become a cycle of dependency and just terrible results of family breakup and causes of family breakup so there were there were very broad reasons for them to come together. But as you imply, there were no clear reasons uh, on the face of it why they should. I mean, Pat had worked for Jack Kennedy in 1960, served in his labor uh, department, worked for Lyndon Johnson, supported Hubert Humphrey against Nixon in 68. Uh, but they still, they still clicked, they connected. And they connected on an issue which Nixon just was addressing as you read out his comments uh, from the August 8th talk on the new federalism, including mainly welfare reform. Can you give me a, a little bit of background on how their um, views on public policy, especially in the area of domestic policy that we're talking right now, um, evolved over, over the years and into the administration? Yeah. Yes, uh, and I think you alluded to the poverty program, and I mentioned uh, Johnson's, uh, you know, generally uh, liberal proposals of the mid-1960s. Moynihan had originally been supportive of the poverty program, but he became critical of it, and for many of the same reasons that many Republicans were critical of it. Uh, Don Rumsfeld, who ultimately headed it for Nixon, had voted against it when it came up for a vote in the House, where he was a sitting member of Congress. And Moynihan turned against it because what he saw was that it really wasn't addressing poverty, but rather was making very solid middle-class or upper-middle-class citizens out of sociologists, consultants, advisors, social workers, but not the poor themselves. He had a vivid, wonderful expression to sort of summarize this, which for me as a kid who spent my summers on an Iowa dairy farm with my grandfather can fully understand. He said it was feeding the sparrows by feeding the horses. And if you think about it a moment, you'll get the point. Uh, he was determined to have a program of income maintenance 
Nixon came into it with a pretty clear mind. He was not for anything, but he knew what he was against. And the few sentences you read told you what that was. It was a welfare system which was a colossal failure. It, it had terrible disincentives for people. It, it provided reasons for uh, fathers, uh, whether they were married or unmarried, to skedaddle and be absent from the home. And Moynihan summarized it in the way he would with, with a, a sort of overall uh, sort of academic uh, sense. He said, to a dangerous, divisive degree, the older ethnic working class groups of the city found that by the end of the decade of the 60s, they appeared to be paying for the support of a vast dependent population of female-headed families and a shadow population made up of the presumably absent fathers. And in the late 1960s, Jonathan, just as we've had for the last two decades, the weekly take-home pay of the envied workers in things like contract construction nationwide increased uh, in constant 1957 $1959, almost not at all. And so the main point which Nixon saw and Moynihan saw that drew them together was that by the end of that decade, social services had expanded so greatly that a dependent family, which, as Pat puts it, optimized its situation, public housing, Medicaid, food stamps, and such like, could have an equivalent income at least equal to and probably above that of the average New York family. Nixon was appalled by this. He campaigned for welfare reform, not proposing yet something in the 16 campaign, but he knew what he was against. And Moynihan and he then came together and made common cause on something positive. And this is the idea of um, both for the working poor, um, mainly for the working poor that Nixon was thinking about, this idea of a guaranteed um, basic income. Can you give us some detail on the direction yes. that the president and Mr. Moynihan were going, were going here? Yes. Uh, well, first, you know, take it back a step, because, uh, as I say, Nixon was against this existing welfare system. He didn't have a suggestion to replace it. I had talked with him in January 68, suggesting this negative income tax, which had very strong Republican roots and antecedents as well as Democratic. But he didn't pick up on it in the campaign. <clears throat> but what he was seeing was things like the New York situation, where within a week after he took office, he was given a simple report showing that most likely in that year of 1969, one in eight citizens in the city of New York would be on welfare. And he was, you know, absolutely outraged by it. And he and Moynihan then began to conspire. But one other thing, which is important politically, the, uh, the administration before it came in had transition task forces, lots of them. One of them was on public welfare. And it basically took a route that was agreeable to a lot of the Republican office holders, because a lot of them were, don't forget, big state Republican governors like New Jersey, New York, Michigan, uh, Iowa, even, and uh, later California. <clears throat> and they wanted fiscal relief because they were, it was a state program, AFDC, which it was called, was a state program, and they were putting most of the bill for it. The feds were matching it, but they were seeing this thing going out of control. And so they wanted a welfare reform, quote, 
which would really just relieve them of some of the fiscal obligation. Moynihan and Nixon began to look at it from a much more basic framework. And just as you said, they saw that part of the issue of poverty was not just in you know, Manhattan or Brooklyn, but rather it was widespread in the country. And as Moynihan says, race, family size, family structure, all these were correlates of poverty. But none was nearly so powerful in aggregate terms as the mere fact of geographic region. By the end of the 1960s, half of all the nation's poor families, two in five of the poor whites and two in three of the poor blacks, lived in the 16 states plus the District of Columbia, which federal statistics define as the South. In other words, half of all American poverty lay in the South. And in the South, the states, since this was a state program, often were providing miserably uh, insufficient sums. The states would define their own level of subsistence, and then they would propose welfare payments as a fraction of that. Mississippi was paying for a family of four $35 a month to cover rent, food, clothing, any other incidental costs. And so uh, what, what that prompted was welfare migration, but what it also prompted was Pat Moynihan and Richard Nixon saying, let's really address poverty not through a program of services and a bunch more categorical grant, grant programs, but let's go at the guts of it, which is the fact that poor people don't have money. You bring up the idea of the South. Um, in addition to the urban poor, there was also concern in the, in, in the administration about uh, the, the white poor and how they might break for um, Alabama governor and segregationist George Wallace, not because they were bigoted or racist, but because they would be attracted by his um, his populism. Uh, Pat Buchanan recently told you we always had Wallace on our minds. Um, how did this how did this factor um, uh, shape the administration's approach? Well, as as Pat Buchanan and Richard Nixon always had Wallace on their minds, Daniel Patrick Moynihan and Richard Nixon always had Wallace on their minds. And in May of 1969. Moynihan wrote a 15-page memo to Nixon talking about this issue of the, you know, the hardworking, uh, lower middle class and working class people who were working but not even making enough to break out of the poverty cycle. And as he said, poverty in the South is not so much associated with unemployment as with low wages and low earnings. And so what they what they did was they decided to focus the amount of money that they felt they could and focus it on the real hardcore poverty. And that meant that the bulk of the program, which Moynihan and Nixon offered, was going to go to um, people in the southern half of the country, because that's where more than half of the poverty was. And they did address the concerns of the Nelson Rockefellers and the, the you know, Governor Bill Millikens in Michigan and others around the north. Um, to, to uh, try and give them a little bit more to help them maintain their high welfare payments there. But they were really going at poverty itself. And Nixon, as one of the very first acts in the administration, did something along the same lines. He instructed the Internal Revenue Service not to collect income taxes from families whose incomes were below the federal definition of poverty. 
five million individuals were paying income tax who were below poverty line when Richard Nixon came in. And with a wave of the wand, he abolished that. And even before the welfare program got fully crystallized and proposed, there had been the issue of food stamps. And here, too, Nixon, uh, with Moynihan's uh, urging, and with, frankly, a political context on the Hill, but Nixon created the first negative income tax, an income-tested federal program to provide cash equivalent uh, help to families with purchasing a, a basic, which was food. So there was this whole array of things that was coming together, Jonathan. Uh, and what Moynihan did, I think, for Nixon, more perhaps than any other advisor, was he gave Nixon a strategy to, to, to cleave to and to see things through. And so the strategy of income and jobs all of a sudden made sense. You, you, why should you have people below the poverty line paying income taxes? Why should you not have a rational uh, program of food stamps, which would ultimately be merged with a cash assistance program, which was his welfare proposal, et cetera, and so forth. Going back to the genesis of this welfare um, proposal in the, wide, in the wide umbrella of domestic policy, um, Moynihan had his hand in the August 8th, 1969 speech and the overall strategy for, um, for domestic policy. Could you touch upon the, what kind of the genesis of the speech was and, um, uh, and the, sort of the introduction um, of the, the process behind the introduction of the Family Assistance Plan um, in 1969? Yeah. Yes. As I said a moment ago, the uh, proposal which Nixon embraced was basically something called a negative income tax. And it was one of two siblings of what people were talking about at the time and are today talking about uh, as some sort of a, a basic floor under uh, incomes of families or individuals. And it was called a negative income tax. It had first uh, been sort of put out in, in front of uh, uh, folks by Milton Friedman, who was a, a conservative economist, University of Chicago, in 1962 in a book uh, about freedom. And so Bob Taft, even, the, the famous Mr. Conservative, uh, Robert Taft of Ohio, had also said at one point that with an economy as strong as we have, there should be no reason why families should should live and struggle below the level of poverty. And then the Ripon Society, of which I was a founding member, picked it up. And the Ripon Society was the very first organization in, in the political movement to propose this negative income tax. And it was done by one of our groups at Yale University. They actually drafted a model negative income tax statute. Um, and then you had Melvin Laird, who died recently, and who was a very prominent member of the House of Representatives in the Republican leadership. He pulled together a group of papers in 1967-68 called the Republican Papers. And in it, he included a piece by Milton Friedman. So basically, you had on the Republican side, you had a group of uh, both very serious uh, authorities like uh, Milton Friedman, and then you had a group of upstarts like the Ripon Society actually proposing a negative income tax. And so Moynihan had adhered to something more common in Europe, which was the old family allowance idea. 
Yes, it was to provide income to families, but to do it with a grant of, say, $1,000 per person in every family. It was a European idea. It was a Catholic social policy idea. It was, in many ways, a natalist idea, meaning to encourage uh, people to have kids. It was obscenely expensive. <laughs> and I uh, persuaded him that the negative income tax was a far more efficient way to do that. He became persuaded. Then George Schultz came into the, into the argument. Uh, and he, uh, as a very, very uh, distinguished economist, saw that there were some problems unless you were in, going to enable people to keep some of their earnings if you encourage them to get out and work. And so the, the so-called Schultz disregard or disregard of earnings in, in some measure uh, as you slowly reduce the welfare benefit or the family assistance benefit, that was Schultz's idea. But what happened was it got married with work which had been done in the prior two, three, four years in the bureaucracy under Lyndon Johnson, which Lyndon Johnson would not countenance. There was work at the poverty program and at the health education and welfare department on a negative income tax. And so what happened was it, it got, uh, there was combustion, if you will, in a positive sense when I came in as Moynihan's staff person, and he asked me to handle welfare for him. And um, a guy named Bob Petroselli, who'd worked on the Javits uh, staff in the Senate, but who was a rip-on guy and familiar with the negative income tax work. So you had the two of us uh, who were, if you will, fertile ground for the idea. And then you had these uh, middle-level bureaucrats in OEO and HEW who'd been thinking this through and working on it for years. And so... Uh, Finch bought into it, the secretary of HEW, Nixon's old friend, and uh, it, it became, became clear that this was the direction we were going to go. It was a major fight within the White House, and for good reason. Jonathan, you sent me a Wall Street Journal uh, video piece only yesterday in which most of the arguments are reviewed for and against some sort of a floor under the incomes of people. They were not at all different in 1969. And Nixon was in the minority. It was, uh, it was sort of like Lincoln. Um, you know, eight against, one four, I'm the four, the eyes have it. Nixon said to Pat Moynihan, I've only got three members of my cabinet with me, but we've got to do it. And he did it. So it was introduced to Congress. How did it square with the Republicans uh, in Congress well, at the time? The, what happens? You know, basically, there was some very positive response to it, and, and certainly at first. And the House of Representatives not only reported it out of committee, reported it out of Ways and Means, report, it passed the bill in 1969 and uh, with support from the Republicans. Uh, and then in the uh, Senate, that was not the case. The conservatives basically killed it. And... The, uh, the problem was the center did not hold, and this was the tragedy of it. Um, you know, Nixon uh, was always rumored not to be really for it, but the reality is he fought very hard for it until he just got ground down. And later, 20 years later, and Moynihan and he, still in touch with each other, were talking about this. Pat wrote to Nixon, and he said... Uh, you know, benefits for children. The children were left out of the recent welfare thing. 
And he said benefits for children under that federal program that's still there, AFDC, are now about 60% in constant dollars of what they were when you proposed the family assistance plan. Nixon wrote back that Moynihan was right on target. And then this is Richard Nixon talking in the late 1980s. This is a direct quote. It says, it is a national tragedy that an unholy alliance of the far right and left kills the family assistance plan. So, yes, the Republicans did not hold, finally. Uh, and I'd, I'd be rated Senator Gene McCarthy, a liberal Democrat, who had voted against it in Senate finance when I saw him some years later in England at a cocktail party. And I just said, you know, how could you do this? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, the National Welfare Rights Organization bill was better. Well, it cost three times as much. In, and it just couldn't be done. In an ironic twist of events, um, over 20, by the mid-90s, um, Republicans and the, the then Clinton administration came together to pass a welfare reform bill, which has been credited, um, which, which the, people often credit Richard Nixon and Daniel Patrick Moynihan for having uh, influence over uh, because, of the, because of the FAP. Um, what, what had been incorporated within Clinton, the Clinton administration uh, legislation that was, um, that was originated in the, in the early 1970s? Well, I mean, the one the one thing that did sort of survive, and uh, it's it's something like that Schultz disregard that I was telling you. It's called the Earned Income Tax Credit, uh, but much of the rest of it was something that Moynihan ultimately could not agree with, and he opposed Clinton on it. Uh, but the, the Earned Income Tax Credit is is a worthwhile thing, and um, you got the work requirement, which Nixon had uh, sought for receiving certain benefits. And uh, George Schultz is uh, one of those who thinks that the 90s, 1990s Clinton reforms were, were positive and did reflect uh, much of what Nixon was seeking. Uh, Moynihan was still distraught that it did away with a focus on children. And Nixon was focusing on children in the family assistance plan. Going forward to today, fast forwarding today, we see um, populist overtones and undertones in the Trump administration. Um, even a decade ago, we saw the Bush administration talk about uh, what they called compassionate conservatism. However, there are many in the conservative movement who would dismiss Nixon and Moynihan's uh, policy at the time um, as activist and uh, liberal. Um, but looking at today, how do you think Nixon and Moynihan's um, idea at that time, how do you think that, how do you think that legacy is, is shaping the, the current debate over um, uh, work and welfare and the entitlement question at large? Those are good questions. Let me first <laughs> pick up on your adjectives of, you know, activist and such. Uh, Herbert Hoover, a name you may have heard, uh, who was president uh, from 1929 to 33, was viewed by the regulars in the Republican Party with great distrust and disdain. Andrew Mellon, who was his secretary of Treasury and had been a rival, possibly, for his nomination, in his diary says, uh, with the, and he, he is angry about it. He says, Hoover is an activist, dangerous. <laughs> uh, most people don't remember Hoover that way. But uh, I think that Looking at your question about these strands of populism 
they go to several things, but one of them is economic insecurity. And while back in 1969, we didn't have people like, uh, you know, the heads of big uh, tech firms talking about how there's going to be massive unemployment, but we did have a fear about information technology displacing jobs. And we also, frankly, had millions of families living at the margin or below of subsistence. And so what, what I feel in retrospect, and that looking, looking at it from today, is that what Nixon and Moynihan strove to do, not just with the, the family assistance plan, but with the whole idea behind the food stamp reform and the relief on income tax for those in poverty, and the national health insurance proposal, which uh, Nixon set up in mid-February 1971, all of these would have given a greater sense of security to people who were living at the edge, at the margin. And Moynihan and Nixon were very, very anxious not to incite, but to calm the racial aspects of this. Uh, and what Moynihan would say is that, you know, we want to do this in, in a way which will uh, reduce these, these sort of febrile and heated uh, concerns, uh, looking at welfare and seeing it in through a lens of, of racial attitudes. Rather, what they were doing was they were addressing poverty, white or black or, or as Sammy Davis would say, polka dot. Um, they were trying to get at a problem of lack of income and not, not anything to do with race. So I think that if somehow they had been able to do this, there might have been a change in direction of, as Pat would have called it, American polity. And as with an aircraft carrier or a battleship, if you change course two, three, four degrees, uh, you know, miles later, or in this case, years and decades later, you wind up at a different destination. So I happen to believe that what they had sought to do could have eased a lot of the growing uh, animosity and uncertainty, which has fueled what we've seen more lately. And there was the other side, which both of them were all too intimately familiar with, of you know a disdainful establishment uh, viewing viewing people with distrust and uh, looking at themselves as people who were going to get ahead and it were going to get great educations and, and devil take the hindmost. So all these things Moynihan and Nixon were intimately aware of. And instead of just red meat rhetoric, they had policy to put in front of the nation in an attempt to, as I say, change the course of that battleship. Thank you so much, John, for your time. Well, Jonathan, you're very welcome, and I hope that it's of some use to somebody. <laughs> it will. Thank you so much. Thank you.